This is Agents Influence Podcast. When we talk about predictive models, people always think, well, you're predicting the future that's crazy and futuristic. But really what the value of these models is, is it's triangulating all of those factors and saying it's not just the speed. It's not just the snow. It's that you're speeding during a snowstorm. So if I can put all of those factors together and predict where a crash is most likely, any little bit of information is useful, but them compiled and weighted appropriately is even more valuable. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 how are you doing out there, loyal listeners? Welcome to another episode of Agents Influence Podcast, Conversations with Jason Cass. And today I am joined with Miss Carrie Ann Nadeau. Now I'm going to tell you this. Here's what I want to say before I get on with her, because I think a lot of you guys are going to kind of geek out because she is literally, I mean, right on her LinkedIn profile, it says that she is an tech founder and data nerd. So that's what we're getting ready to go. And you know that I love these type of guests. But before we do, I just want to remind you, you can go to AIbrainshare.com, AIbrainshare.com. You can look because it's sold out, big sold out right there. There is a waiting list. You can click on the waiting list and put your name on there. And around June 1st, I'm going to see if I can find any seats, open any seats. And also we'll use that as a first come first serve basis for any cancellations. I apologize. We sold out like literally less than three and a half weeks, but next time we'll try and get a bigger venue. But we thought this one was bigger than the last time. So we do appreciate that, but check it out. AIbrainshare.com. We do appreciate you trying. Go there to the, the waiting list and sign up. Do appreciate all you listeners out there, and uh, I always try to bring you the best. And today, I hope I do not disappoint again. Uh, Carrie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. That's quite an introduction. The best. I'll try to live up to that as well. I think you will. We had a little talk, uh, loyal listeners, for I guess you could call it in the green room for about 15 minutes, and uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy this. Uh, Carrie, uh, she, Carrie, you see that to exude a lot of confidence to me and a little bit of sass and jazz, and I like that. <laughs> you got me in three words. Well described. <laughs> Good, 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 good. This will be fun then. So, Carrie, let's get, we got to let the listeners get to know who you are. Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? I am an iPhone user. Ah, mm-mm. sorry. It is. And I knew you were because you were telling me about your uh, Mac that you had there. And I'm like, oh, know the answer to that one. And so, out of, uh, would you, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Which would be one or the other? I hate to lose. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I do love to win, but I think driving force, I hate to lose. Yes, 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 yes. And then that's when you learn, right, Carrie? That's when you learn. Yeah. And you know, it's that exposing yourself to fear. It's easy to win. There's a lot of games you can win, but there's not a lot of risks you take where you leave the possibility and the opportunity to lose open. So it's those kinds of risks that attract me and the potential to lose drives me to, to not. Well, that's a great one. And I love that. Now, last, here we go. So the listeners, they are really focusing in on who you are. The last one is where you are now, how you've got there, the life that you have right now. Is it due more to luck or skill? Oh, wow. Uh, skill. 
I definitely don't discount luck. Luck's definitely part of the equation. But um, I don't come from a lot of privilege. I didn't grow up uh, with parents in the insurance industry or in wealthy circumstance with a lot of, you know, silver spoons in my mouth. So while luck is definitely being in the right place at the right time has been a core value to me, but also core value to our business. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit more about ODN, I'm sure. I think you got to be good too. You got to be skilled to win. Now, Carrie. You answered those those questions great. You guys, loyal listeners, are you excited? I mean, some of them are just, they're kind of shaking their heads back and forth right now, like loosening up, like, whoo, this is getting ready to be good. <laughs> so, Carrie, before we move on, because I want everybody to go to ODNsure, so that's O-D-N-S-U-R-E.com. Go check out that website. When you get a chance, get there. If you're on the on the drive, don't look it on your phone. You can check it out when you get to the office. But, Carrie, take us back to diapers, grade school, college. Take us back and bring us forward to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So born and raised to, uh, my dad's a Canadian immigrant. My mom is a American citizen, but uh, the two of them raised me outside of Hartford, Connecticut, about 10 miles south of Hartford. I'm an only child, so I have all the privileges of getting all the attention as a kid. And one of the things that they showered on me was the value of education. So my parents have put their hard work, sweat, equity, and tears into making sure I get the best possible education I could possibly get. They work very blue collar jobs. My dad was a, went through a series of careers, but retired as a bicycle mechanic. So very mechanics minded, engineering minded, likes to use his hands to fix problems and tweak and fiddle and born of a construction worker. So has this sort of engineering pedigree. And then my mom uh, works at a grocery store and she would count cash at the local grocery store. So she comes from a bookkeeping, sort of accounting. She has an associate's degree and she sort of instilled in me the value of data and money and being able to sort of rectify accounts. Uh, She taught me Excel as a kid. So two very different mindsets, two different creatives, but they put everything into my education. So I went to a private high school in Connecticut. Dave Chappelle has this hilarious joke that you grew up just rich enough to be poor around white folks. That's how I felt. Everybody had a nice car. I carpooled, you know, I got to school however, by whatever means necessary, but did really, really well. So I wanted to pursue when I was in school, I would tape videotape at night, Saturday night live every Saturday night. And in the morning on Sunday morning, I would wake up and I would watch the tape of Saturday night live because my bedtime was before when it aired. And then I would watch the Sunday morning news shows and I would sit you know, watching those Sunday morning news shows and get angry about how the politicians who were featured on those shows would just make up shit, just make up. And frankly, that hasn't changed, right? Like that's still, still the problem 15, 20 years later, but I would get upset about it. And I I went to GW, George Washington University in DC to hopefully bring more data, bring more facts into the dialogue of politics. Now, I definitely failed at that because look where we are now, but the journey evolved, right? My goals evolved. I went to GW while I was there. For anybody who went to GW or knows GW, it's in downtown DC. So it's embedded into the city. You can't tell an office building from the university. And so that was great because I could go get internships at different companies and I could figure out what exactly I wanted to do. So I worked on the Hill and then I worked in research organizations. And I worked at the key department, letting people into their 
building when they got locked out. I worked all kinds of jobs to work my way through college, but ended up getting a job when I graduated at the Urban Institute, which is a research organization. I was working in their Justice Policy Center, and what I was doing was literally going into jails with surveys. <laughs> Learned a lot. <laughs> wow. Right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I go into jail, and I've been to jail many times, I joke, uh, but I went to jail, and I would talk to people who are about to leave and ask about what their circumstance would be when they got out. And then they would engage as part of a study to follow their outcomes over time and be able to better know, you know, what sort of services they could provide while they're still in jail that would prevent or reduce the likelihood that they would come back to jail, which is a positive outcome for everybody. So realized after a couple of years in jails that maybe that wasn't where I wanted to take my career. I wanted to spend a little less time in jail. So I moved over to the Brookings Institution, which is a very similar organ research organization in D.C. But what I was doing there was sitting in an office rather than in jail. And I was taking data about cities and trying to understand the experience of poor people in cities. So what did it mean to live and to work in a community that didn't have public transportation or had public transportation, but it was really expensive to get to an afford or a job that you could get with a low wage or low skill. So I was really fascinated by how people moved around cities and what that meant, like where they are, what that meant for their ability to succeed. And I hit a glass ceiling, so we're coming up on Women's History Month, uh, still a challenge for many women coming up in the industry, wasn't getting paid my worth and getting paid less than a peer. So I said, you know what, I'm out. I went back to graduate school. I was fortunate enough to be able to sort of give them the finger on the way out and be like, you know what, I'm going to MIT. And they were like, what? So I got into MIT. Yeah. So I went and thank God I did because it opened up my eyes to a world of opportunity. I never thought I would start my own business, but there's not, not a better place in the world to start a business than, than MIT. I can't figure out another, a better place. But um, the idea is, look, when you go to a university like that, what you, you're valuing, I had an advisor. I was picking between schools where I wanted to go. And I had an advisor who said, if you want to compete, go to Harvard. If you want to be competitive with people around you, go ahead. But if you know that you can build something bigger with the help of other people who have better and different expertise than you do, go to MIT. And I have never gotten better advice. I like that. That's good. Yeah. And that's exactly what and that just That just embodies, that puts in my mind what MIT is, you know, when you when they give that great comparison. That was good. Yeah. And folks think like, oh, you got to be brilliant. And they get a little worried that like, shit, this girl's going to be really, really smart. And I'm not going to understand a word that she said. But it's not about that. Yeah, I can do complicated math, but it's my values. And that's why I picked that university. Is it matched my values more than anything. So yeah, when I went there, I didn't think I was going to start a company, didn't have that in my mindset, but I was bitching, frankly. I was mad that nobody was doing what I wanted to do. And that was taking data that was coming out of cities. These are things like police reports or permit requests or inspection results, the sort of business of doing government and using that wealth of data, billions of records of data. This is big data. This is unmanageable by most people have to have special expertise in order to manage such a, a massive amount of data to build models that would help people better understand the world around them, what was going on in their neighborhood. So what we did 
one of our first projects was to predict which restaurants would fail their health inspections. I know a ton about what causes, yeah, fascinating stuff. So if you're near construction that turns off water, electricity, and sewage, FYI, you're going to have a problem at your small business, your restaurant, when the electricity goes out and you don't know how long it's been out for, the microwave's blinking, but you don't know if all the food has been spoiled. Things like that, that we could monitor and provide sort of value-added services to the business owners. We went to the market with insurance. We tried to go to insurance carriers, brokers, say, hey, don't your customers want these insights? And what we found was that that small commercial side of insurance or that line of businesses was very congested with a lot of these sort of risk management solutions, right? Like McDonald's monitors how hot the fry oil is down to three decimals. Like it's hard to break into, hey, we've got this new service that can monitor essentially everything outside of your doors that you don't have eyes on. So we said, all right, this might not be the right first product to go to market with. What can we learn? And what we learned was there was this other really big problem that insurance cares a lot about that city governments care a lot about, and frankly, consumers think is important. And that's traffic crashes. So we built models to anticipate where car crashes are going to happen. And today we've got coverage in many states around the United States. Every road, you can think of it sort of like a a hazard map or a floodplain map where when you're applying for homeowner's insurance, you want to know, is my house in a flood zone? I'm going to have to pay special insurance for that. What we do is say, we're going to risk rate all the roads, and then we're going to throw you onto one of those roads based on where you drive or where you live. And we're going to say, look, we're going to rate you instead of based on your zip code, we're going to rate you based on where you drive, when you drive, and add to that how you drive and who you are, which is the measures we do today, to get a better sense of the risk that you pose to the world. Because today, surprisingly, insurance knows who you are, right? They collect your credit information. They ask you a million and one questions down to the color of your underwear. They know how you drive in some cases. They put these little devices in your car that track whether you speed or hard brake. But the one thing they don't have eyes on is who else is on the road around you and what is the risk of the road itself? Are you driving in snowstorms and congested areas on narrow roads with no gutter? They have no eyes on this information. So Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, so that's what we started building. So that's what ODN is. Yeah, ODN predicts where traffic crashes are likely and helps insurance carriers replace rate filings or a territory rate filings so that they can get a specific territory for every customer that they insure rather than relying on the zip code. And today, what we're building out to add on to that is customer engagement tools. So what we realized was that customers really care about this. There's not a single person on earth that isn't curious to know where are the roads that are really dangerous that I drive on a regular basis? Where are the roads around my house that my teenager drives on a regular basis? And could I make different behavioral choices to move around those spaces? Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. 
CAST certified. And Carrie, what's crazy about this is, is it's just like everything else before data. It's like we knew it as intuition or because of like feelings that we had. Like everybody knows in their county, the two or three roads that are really dangerous and people for some reason always get on crashes or or get into crashes or always die on. I'm sitting around right now thinking about the roads around my community. And like, I mean, there's this one called Green Street and it runs out out of the town, out into the country. And it always has this turn and cars always go off the edge or there's always wrecks right in there. And it's like, we'll just know that, right? But now just like the beauty of InsureTech is we can take those intuitions and those feelings and those things that we've encountered in our brain through years of history, and we can bring data to it and say, no, like this is for real. But not only that, you guys don't even notice this little, this little intersection over here. And I think that that is genius. And I love the way you put it. And for all you C-suites listening to this, I love the way that you put it. It needs to be echoed across America is they know everything about me. They know everything about the way that I drive, but no one's paying attention to the road I'm driving on and to the others that are driving around me. And I think you're exactly right. That is a huge, huge area. And I'm glad there's people like you that have, uh, that have found that out. So how's, how's this, how successful how long is ODN being around? And then how successful are you guys at penetrating and getting your message out? That's a great question. And I just want to reiterate what you just said. Everybody has that road, right? Green Street for you is Main Street for me is the on-ramp to Route 9 that has a stupid stop sign for no clear reason on an on-ramp, right? Like there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. So when we talk about predictive models, right, people always think, well, you're predicting the future that's crazy and futuristic and hard, intangible for me to really wrap my brain about. But really what the value of these models is, is it's triangulating all of those factors and saying it's not just the speed, it's not just the snow, it's that you're speeding during a snowstorm. So if I can put all of those factors together and predict where a crash is most likely, any little bit of information is useful, but them compiled and uh, sort of weighted appropriately is even more valuable to reveal things we know, already know, to reveal things we don't. And you hit the nail on the head. But how um, how successful are we? We can always be more successful. We're certainly on our journey, but we're a five-year-old company. We started out selling to government, first and foremost. So we went to uh, Chicago, LA, DC, Florida, uh, state of Texas, and we are selling to government and saying, hey, departments of transportation, you have to fix potholes. Wouldn't it make sense to fix them in the order that exposes people to the most risk? So you fix potholes on roads that where potholes are causing crashes. And they were like, this is brilliant. We have very limited resources. We want to make sure everyone's safe. They have an, an initiative called the Vision Zero Initiative. If you're in New York or Chicago, you can't help but see these stickers on cabs. That's really organized by your mayor to say, we need to do everything we can to spend public dollars to promote public health and safety and reduce crashes. That is a very aligned interest with the insurance industry, but nobody's really brought those two things together until ODN. So we have... Currently, the system that we built is running in the city of Chicago. It's being deployed actively by the Department of Transportation to prioritize their own activities and, to your point, find intersections where they can now refocus on traffic safety. But 
We entered the insurance industry about two years ago. We participated in an accelerator called the Partnership Fund for New York City. Shout out to the FinTech Lab. They're fantastic. That helped us do six months of customer discovery, purely asking questions. How is this useful? Because we had built a product. The tech is there. The capabilities are there. But how it would be applied was a learning experience. And we needed to really embed ourselves and be humble and ask questions that were difficult, look stupid because we were stupid. We didn't know what we were doing in the insurance space. So it took us probably six months to really understand the ins and outs. We're still learning a lot about regulation and about working with regulators. We're always learning more, but that helped us really go to market with a product that made sense for customers and that they could pilot, test, and start using very quickly. So we are in with a number, handful of the the largest personal auto insurance carriers in the United States. That's growing. And like I said, we're expanding this customer engagement strategy where I think there's a real play for agencies and brokers to be providing value-added services either to personal lines, auto insurance, where we are with the carriers, or to commercial as well. I think about every pizza delivery or every auto parts or truck going out to a construction site. It's a lot of commercial auto where frankly, risk management may not be all that robust or all that full of data or insights that could really help customers, where I think that this is is potentially very valuable. So that's the direction we're adding to the portfolio two years deep. And I'll make a brief plug to say when when this podcast airs, we'll have a survey, we'll put a survey link up. We'd love to get folks feedback about how they would use this idea, how their customers might use this, how much they might pay for it, frankly. I have a way. Yeah. I think it would be cool if on my Google Maps, it would give me the direction like it does now to send me from point A to point B, but it would also give me an alternate route that would be the most safe. So it could say, I know, Carrie, when you start making millions because you sell that to Google, don't forget about That's me. That's why I was like, Google, me. if you're listening, we are open to So think offers. about that. That's like a really cool thing that I was just thinking about. I was like, if it's going to take me seven minutes longer to go this way, but ODN or Google has told me that's a little bit safer, I wonder how that could impact traffic for those people. My wife's the person that would take the extra seven minutes. Me, I'm sitting there thinking, can I get there fastest way you're showing me, right? That's just, that's different personalities. But I'm thinking to myself like, wow, that would be very, very powerful if you could do that. Totally. And if, you know, if Google's listening, definitely we're open to acquisition offers. <laughs> me up. Carrie, don't forget me, girl. Carrie, don't forget me. Carrie Ann at odnsure.com. You hit me up anytime. I'm available. Carrie, see, we just met. This is the beginning of a beautiful yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get some equity. Get in soon. No, but I think here's the thing where we see this applied immediately, right? We don't know how people will change their behaviors, right? Your wife is different than you more interested in taking seven extra minutes because she values safety or her car, maybe a little bit more. But where we can immediately start doing this is with car share. So with the Lyfts and the Ubers of the world. So their drivers get a route that optimizes for time. But as a risk management strategy for one of these car sharing companies, you can dictate that those drivers actually do spend a little bit longer 
dropping off their customer in order to reduce the probability that that vehicle is in a crash and lower the loss that the organization, the company that insures the vehicle during these trips would be exposed to. So that's really where we see an opportunity to do and to test these behavioral changes. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. Man, I think you guys have huge upside, just huge upside, because not only that, your business is based off an infrastructure called the highway and road, and there's so much of it. You know what I mean? I mean, as yeah, I know this is things that you and your business partners have already sat around and had big glasses and bottles of wine and thought about, but I'm, I'm thinking about this right now. Like, There's so much road out there. It's ridiculous. I would say it's probably the biggest infrastructure that we have of anything, probably. I don't know. I'm just, just thinking out loud here. I don't know in comparison, but I can tell you the numbers are massive. So in the state of Texas last year, or in the last 10 years in the state of Texas, so Texas is a big state. There's a lot of cars. There were 8 million crashes in the state of Texas in a decade. That number has been going up over time. So every year, year over year, it's just as almost a straight line Positive line. Yes. Last year it was about 770,000 crashes. With all the technology, it's still going up like that. Yes. So what's crazy is a few things. The auto insurance industry is experiencing crisis. Auto insurance is barely profitable, if profitable at all. And part of the reason is the number of crashes are increasing. The reasons for that, that underlie that, if you're curious, might be, and no one's done the math to figure this out, but might be affordable gas prices coupled with increased package deliveries that put more vehicles that are bigger, like box trucks with visibility issues on the road. So like UPS, Rider, FedEx, not to call anybody out, but it's it's pretty dangerous to have more of those cars on the road. So the number of crashes is increasing. The severity of those crashes or the cost of those crashes is also increasing. So you think about all the tech that they put in your bumper, right? You're mentioning all the technologies, the backup camera, the lane assist, the, hey, you know, parking thing, parking assist, all that sits in your bumper. So a little fender bender now no longer costs, you know, 50 bucks to bump out the bumper, costs thousands of dollars. Couple that with the like rising cost of litigation. You see a lot of lawsuits hitting record amounts of settlements. All of this is causing the auto insurance industry to scratch its head and say, what are we going to do to restore the good old days of profitability and personal auto insurance At the same time, I think there's some very real things that they could do by working with ODN to reduce losses, be more strategic in risk selection, provide more information to their customers to make different decisions. So we're hitting a a real pain point for customers. Yeah, you know, I just, uh, I know it's that way and I know, but you you really coupled that together with some interesting things that I assumed, but other things that I didn't like your deliveries. You are so right. There's so many more delivery vehicles out on the road today, even when it goes from Uber to the big box trucks, right? So many more people. And that that makes that makes sense. And then like you said, I didn't even really think of that, but it makes total sense is the gas costs. You know, gas is very inexpensive right now. So yeah, that's uh that's interesting. But then again, I guess that's that's common sense to someone like you who's looking at those statistics all the darn time. So that that makes sense. That makes sense. Which which state has the most wrecks? The most traffic crashes? Crashes, yeah. I don't know off the top of my head, but I would venture to say Texas simply because of the volume. 11% of all cars are in the state of Texas. That was my next question is, is I wonder what state per, how would you say that? 
I'm not a geek like this in numbers, but like per the amount of people or per the amount of cars versus the amount of wrecks, I wonder where it's like the highest. Far and away the state of Texas, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Everything's bigger in Texas. Wow. Holy cow. I would have thought, and California is not even as close. It's just Texas, I guess. Yeah. I don't know the numbers, so don't quote me on California off the top of my head, but I do know that Texas is a heck of a a problem for insurance carriers when it comes to auto. They're all in the state of Texas because it's such a big market and they're interested in, in restoring profitability there. The other thing I'll say, we mentioned California. So California is an interesting case as it, you know, on many fronts, California is different than many other states. But one thing that's very different in the personal auto space for them is that regulators have outlawed the use of credit to price insurance for personal auto. So what's interesting here is that the way that credit is used today in in personal auto, it's very important in most models. If you have poor credit, you pay about $1,000 more on average than someone with excellent credit and a DUI. Wow. Yes. So the model is very, very, it's very important that your credit score be included in the model. In the state of California that has made it illegal, along with the state of Massachusetts, Hawaii, Connecticut is considering some legislation right now. Rashida Tlaib in Congress has introduced legislation to make it illegal for credit raters to send information to insurance carriers for personal auto purposes. It is modern day redlining. We see people, immigrants, people of color, and millennials being disadvantaged by existing models of insurance. So what's another opportunity for carriers, particularly in states like Texas that still allow credit, is to say, how can we better qualify millennials specifically, right? Their lifetime value of a millennial is going to be bigger than an older person. So we want to get more millennials in the door to buy insurance from us, more opportunity to sell more things, more time with them. Anyways, point being, how do we take credit off the table and say, look, every millennial has student debt, is has very limited financial history, work history, and maybe has defaulted on some loans already. How are we going to qualify those people for auto insurance if our model is saying, look, they have really poor credit, they're going to get priced out of the market. So there's another really strategic opportunity for agents, for carriers to consider specializing in this 18 to 35-year-old genre where the existing models are really broken. Well, the the existing model of if you want to even take it further, I want to I want to dive into this for a second, Carrie. You really hit a a red spot for me. I think a lot of it is is first of all, credit is outdated in so many different things. Even when it comes to go going and getting a loan, I mean, there are a lot of people who make a lot of money who barely live, but they are able to make their bills. And then there's a lot of people who make money and they just never pay their bills regardless. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily dictate that. I listened to a TED talk about three, four, five years ago, and I can't remember the lady's name and she was brilliant. It seems like these people who go to MIT are just brilliant. And, and so she went to MIT and she was talking about how she calls it a reputation score. And she talks about how you can use different things from Airbnbs and from Facebook reviews and Google reviews and MPS scores and all these little things that are out there in the world. And to be able to aggregate those together and say, this is really who this person is, not necessarily what that credit is saying, because this is being derived from 
I'm just making this up, 100,000 different data points versus the credit is not. So I feel that way strongly. But here's one thing that really, really makes me mad. I've spoken of this before on Agents Influence. I've had some companies call me out and tell me that I'm, that I'm wrong and they're wrong, what they do with credit. And here's what it is. When they started with credit, they had actual figures that show if you uh, don't have good credit, you're like more likely to be a bigger risk, okay? Whatever, maybe you can show it, maybe you can't. The insurance companies are the ones that have brought this on themselves because they've twisted it, Carrie. A lot of these companies, and they won't admit it, but they know it's true, what they do is, is they don't assess you based on your credit as how type of how much of a risk you could be. They base you on your credit as how to how likely you are to turn in a claim. That is wrong. To say you can you have statistical proof that if you have a lower credit score, you're more likely to be a risk. If you have the numbers to prove it, okay. But to then try to tell me that because maybe my credit score is a 600, that I'm not going to turn in a I'm gonna I'm gonna have to turn in a claim as opposed to the person who has an 830 is not gonna turn in the claim because they have more money. Now we're discriminating amongst the people. I don't even know if discriminate is the right word, but it's wrong. And that's why these insurance companies are turning around going, oh, credit, it's been huge for us. You guys abused it. You abused it is what you did. And I'm going to tell you, they are an independent company, the second or third largest in America. And they're the ones that really started to abuse this as soon as it started to happen. They had the digital and the uh, data to be able to prove it because they were always a thought, uh, digital leader inside of insurance. And they're the ones that abused this for everybody else. And then everybody else just jumped on board. I'm sorry. Okay, I digress now. Sorry, Carrie, you really got me on that one. Preach. I'm over here saying yes, yes, because look, I come from a city planning background. My degree from MIT is in city planning. So the tradition and the history around redlining is something I'm very familiar with. It's a value that we need to reconsider in the insurance industry. And when I say value, I don't mean dollars. I mean values, like your what you value, your your morality, right? If we just continue to perpetuate something that is the way it's always been done traditionally, and don't revisit the consequence of some of our choices when we have more information to show that there may be specific groups that we are discriminating, not asking those questions and saying, do I have value? Are the decisions I'm making in line with my values? That's the conversation I want to start. If an insurance carrier says, you know what? I don't care because my values are actually making a buck and I know that in the predictive model, credit's going to make me more money if I hedge for people with poor credit and charge them more. If that's your values, great. You keep doing that. You're probably not a great customer for ODN. However, if we just avoid that conversation and we don't confront it, we don't give people who have different values an opportunity to take it and make a different decision. And so I always get frustrated. Same thing, the people that say like, ah, you're barking up the wrong tree, we'll never get credit out of insurance. Maybe we won't for most carriers, but we should certainly have an option available for those carriers that can find a different way to be profitable without at the expense of people who are poor. That's right, Carrie, that's right. Me and you gotta meet. We gotta have some Starbucks coffee one day. I'm telling you, we got to. And if it's late at night, we'll have some wine, all right? We'll be on the uh, right side of history together, I think. We will. The righteous will win, Carrie. They come from the east, they come from the west, but the righteous will win. Hey, um, 
You got anything you want to close up with or anything like that? Yeah. So thank you very much for having me on the show today. I think I just want to make one big plug that we're always trying to collect more data. And by that, I mean, we have a survey that we're going to push out that we're trying to just get people's perceptions to make this case with carriers around this being a tool that customers would love and use. So I would encourage anybody who's watching the show to just take a couple minutes, fill out the survey, send it to your friends, send it to your customers. If this is a tool that they find really valuable, we want to introduce it into the market. So thank you for listening and thank you for just taking that one extra step to help us out and fill out that survey as well. Yeah, that would be awesome. Do it, do it, do it. Carrie, love you. I know this is going to be many, many times we are going to be able to see each other um, and talk again in this industry because uh, you're a powerhouse. I love your, like I said, your your zest, your jazz. I really do. And it takes people like that. It takes people like you to have that big uh, personality so that you can you can kind of stick out and people can say, hey, let me take a chance to find out who she is, just like I did with you. Because I think there's a lot of people that are hearing your message and saying, man, this makes sense. It also, I think people discredit sometimes the power, even our own agents, the power that we have to be able to talk to our reps, to be able to talk to our companies. They're wanting to be able to hear from people on the ground, just like Carrie is wanting to hear you to how she can make her better, her business better. I think it's our job is also just not that when we say we want to make this industry better. I think loyal listeners, you need to think to yourself and you know, say, what does that look like? What does that mean? What is my part in that? Is my part just to say this to my reps every time? Maybe it is. Maybe it's that little impact. Is my part to be involved and get involved in associations or go to events and and really try to stand out? Maybe it is. But you have your strength. You have your part in this industry. Maybe your part is to let people like Carrie and them know what you think and how you can make their business better. You never know. You might actually give her idea that Google buys and you could make millions <laughs> of dollars. Okay. So, hey, this has been Jason Castle with Agents Influence Podcast. Tell me your thoughts. Tell me your ideas. And I'm going to tell you what the world has to say. It's been Jason Cass. I'm out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial but you've got time to search it and look at it that's what we do we deliver high quality ve's we mix the technology with it we train them on the technology give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races i'm not joking with you You can call my agency at any time ask for lordland and we do ask her say how fast are you able to do quotes i've actually got a couple videos of it that's right we can do five to ten carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes so you give me an auto quote i can do five to ten carriers in three to seven minutes how are we doing it we're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence give us a call check us out 
can ask for me personally. I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast Certified.